we're always looking up, like looking at the people ahead of us. And I think that once you can see someone who looks like you do something, uh, I think it gives you hope that you can do it. You know, I, I remember, you know, my mom had gone to some Hollywood event with me or something and noticed that there weren't that many people of color. And she said, if I had come to an event like this before you wanted to be a writer, I would have told you it's not going to happen for you. I'm Essen Zafar, and welcome to another episode of Unfair Nation, the podcast that discusses our nation's rising inequity and social, political, and economic inequality, what it means for you, and what you can do about it. Every so often, we interview one person to get their perspective, and today I'm joined by Ramla Mohammed, showrunner of the recent television show, Reasonable Doubt. Making movies is hard work, and for most, it's hard work that increasingly doesn't pay enough. The last few years have seemed like the golden age of entertainment. There's been more shows to watch than people to watch them, and more ways of watching your favorite shows than ever before. But while this era of, quote, peak entertainment has provided tremendous opportunities, the profits from this bounty have largely accrued to a very small percentage of writers actors, and entertainment executives. My guest on this episode, Ramla Mohammed, is an Emmy-nominated television writer and producer and currently showrunner on the Hulu series Reasonable Doubt, starring Kerry Washington and Larry Wilmore. She's a rising success, but still someone who would call herself a hustler, working hard to make it in this industry. She is, also, undeniably useful, which is the term that Ramla herself gives her own philosophy of reframing the smallest effort in service of excellence and success. And finally, as a writer, she is on strike, demanding fair treatment and better compensation for her work. In this episode, I speak with Ramla about who she is, her identity as a child of immigrants, her family, and her pathway from MFA student to showrunner. Though we don't discuss her show, Ramla has some important advice to share with young people thinking of entering. The entertainment industry. Ramla was a delightful guest. I'm really excited to see what you think of this episode. And before I forget, Unfair Nation is now amongst the top 10% of podcasts worldwide, making us one of the most popular audio programs in the world. This is in no small part thanks to you and to many other people who make Unfair Nation possible. More on that at the end of the episode. Now... On to Ramla. So I hear you have a show. Yes, yes, I do have. <laughs> Is a show. that uh, a good opening line in L.A.? Yeah, <laughs> I hear you yeah, have a show. I hear a show. Yeah. Uh-huh. What are you working on? Tell me about your show. Uh, it's called Reasonable Doubt. It's on Hulu. Uh, nine episodes. It premiered last year. Um, it's about a black female attorney living in Los Angeles. You follow her, um, kind of one case that she's dealing with during the season and also following kind of her marriage and kids and friends and uh, basically just life as a as a woman in these streets. 
as a woman, as a, as a woman who's a lawyer also yes. as well, right? Yeah. But I, it was really important to me. Um, I always feel like when you're watching television shows, particularly with female leads, you know, it's like the woman is either like really good at her job and then she's really bad at relationships. Um, and I, I feel like what's difficult about being a woman actually is balancing all the different relationships, right? Like if you are in a partnership with someone and you have children and you have friends and your, you know, family and career, like it's, it's not just one thing. It's, it's trying to be kind of all the things. And so I really wanted to show a woman who had this full life and, and part of what is stressful is trying to kind of have it all. So it's not a show about the compromises women make. No, no, it's not about necessarily the compromises. I think it's it's more about um, it's more about like how winning in one part of your life one day may cause you to lose in another part of your day, right? Like, yeah, like it's more real. Yeah, like today it's like, oh, I won this part of the case, but I missed my kid's birthday yeah. or something. Almost or like a show about guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. And you're um you're a showrunner? Yeah, I'm the showrunner. What is, what is a showrunner? Uh a showrunner is uh basically the the person who's in charge. I I compare the it boss. to yeah, the boss. I I compare it to like uh if my show was a company, then I would be the CEO of the company. Yeah. And so is there so is that different from a producer, a director title? Yeah, so um you know, so there are many producers on my show. I'm I'm also an executive producer, but also uh, Larry Wilmore, Kerry Washington, uh, Pilar Savant. We, there are a few executive producers um, and they're called like kind of non-writing producers. Right. Um, and then we have directors. I just know them as Larry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a first name. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, Larry, Kerry. Um, and, uh, and then we have directors who come in and do different episodes. And then we also have a producing director who was uh, Pete Chapman was our producing director last season. So he directed a couple episodes but also was there you know, kind of uh, shepherding the the directors who are coming in for every episode. So, yeah, I mean, the, it's it the show. Even though I am like the CEO of the company, uh, just like in a company, right? I I can't you know do all the all the jobs. It requires a right a team a, a team, not just the team of people that I mentioned, but also a crew of people who are working every day, and then also people in offices somewhere working on the show. So. A lot of people, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, they make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's step back for a second away from the show. We'll come back to the show. Okay. Um, but let's talk a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. How did you become a showrunner? Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. So it started when I was five. <laughs> I'm not going to start nah, there. <laughs> all good. <laughs> um, you know, I so before I came a, became a showrunner, I was a TV writer for about 10 years. Um, and I really, it's... It's kind of funny because I think nowadays there's this idea of, you know, people become writers and that then immediately they're like, I want my own show. But I, I really, um, you know, is that, is that what happens? A little bit. I think people are kind of, because it seems exciting, right? It's like, Ooh, it's my own show. Um, but you know, to quote Drake, I started from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> and so I really, I was a writer's PA uh, on Grey's Anatomy was my first TV job. And then I was a showrunner's assistant and then a researcher. And then I basically did almost every level yeah. um, as a writer. And I and I do feel like that was very helpful to me sure. um, in order to get the experience and the confidence to know what I want and know what works. 
I, I worked on Scandal. I did, um, you know, I was there for all 120 plus episodes and then went on to do Little Fires Everywhere as a co-executive producer. So, um, you know, I really got to, I really got to experience uh, what it was like to produce your episodes before I became a showrunner and had to kind of produce an entire show. Yeah. So you really started, when did you kind of start in the industry? 20 years ago, would you say? Uh, no, no, I'm not that, not 20 years ago. Five years ago? <laughs> I'm just a child. Uh, no, I am, um, I guess, well, I went to USC for grad school for writing and film and TV. And I graduated in 2008 from there. And then in 2009 is when I became a writer's PA in Grace okay. Anatomy. Um, but, you know, before that, I actually had a lot of random jobs. I I worked at the pro- as a promotions coordinator for the uh, WNBA Sparks. Okay. Awesome. Uh, during when I saw Lisa Leslie dunk, for, you know, uh, which is very exciting. And um, and also during the time that the Lakers, Kobe and Shaq. That won, dynasty. Yeah, yeah, when they won all three years of that. So I kind of thought I was going to be, you know, basketball. I was going to mm. go go the basketball yeah. route. Yeah, I, I really do enjoy sports. Um, and then that didn't happen. And I kind of got into theater. I worked at a theater as an assistant. and And so I was kind of unsure what I wanted to do. And then finally I was like, okay, maybe I'll go to school because I was good at school. <laughs> and so I figured I could learn how to do some of these things. And and when I got accepted into at into USC, I, I was like, oh, okay, well maybe, maybe I can do this. Okay. Yeah. And so that's kind of what set you. So, so let's say 15 years, but the reason I'm asking that question is because there has been over the last 20 years, in particular, right? But there's been this, you know, some people, it's obviously not where we want it to be, but there's definitely been a sea change mm-hmm. from where TV was in the 80s. Right. Where you had like, you know, the A-team and you had B.A., right. the one black guy. <laughs> right, right, you right, know? right, right. And you certainly didn't have anybody, I'm of South Asian right. and Middle Eastern descent, you certainly didn't have anybody like me right. ever, unless we were, you know, unless I was a terrorist. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah. And even then it was usually somebody who was Latino or Hispanic right. trying to talk in like a, a, right, an accent. Kind of, yeah, it was accent. all just all kinds of layers of obfuscation. Yeah. But like there's certainly been a change where it's been a lot more normalized, at least visually. Right. Right. To see uh, people of color, particularly black actors in commercials, right. Mm-hmm. In like, not just marketed to the black community, right? right? Yeah, you're but right. like, Absolutely, yeah. um, or seeing interracial couples or mixed couples. And so, um, have you seen that in your career thus far? Like, have you, you were, you were there for part of that journey, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I started before kind of streaming before Netflix and all that. So, um, you know, there, yeah, there weren't many options for a lot of creators of color, uh, to create stories that they could tell. So that is the kind of good thing about what streaming did, right? It, it opened up a world of um, more nuanced storytelling and specificity, which I think is what not just, you know, not just like, it's not just like, oh, well now black people have shows that they can watch. It's it's really like, you know, all people can watch and enjoy these shows. You look at a show like Insecure, you know, that um, I've had so many white women come up to me and talk about how much they love Insecure, um, and there's uh, jokes there, lots of jokes <laughs> I'm there. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, but but you know it's it's um or like the show Beef that just sure. just came yeah. out. 
um, that was a big hit or Squid Game. Like, like I think, I think people have realized, okay, you can have shows about non-white people and there's still universality that, that people can, can connect to. Let me talk a little bit more about your background since we're okay. already on this topic. So your dad's from Somalia. Mm-hmm. You have the most recognizable Muslim surname, last name on the <laughs> yes, planet, yes. right? The Jones you're also, of You're also Jones black woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And so you've got it all, right? Yeah, from that perspective, lot, lot right? Of, there's a lot, lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, with somebody from your background, like why do you feel, you, you told me that it was important for you in the media to work with people who kind of look like you, who mm-hmm. have a name like yours, who have kind of, why is that important to you? Like why, why does that matter to you? Well, you know, I, I think like like anything, right, even when you're in high school, let's say, right, we're always looking up, like looking at the people ahead of us. And I think that once you can see someone who looks like you do something, uh, I think it gives you hope that you can do it. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, my mom had gone to some Hollywood event with me or something and noticed that there weren't that many people of color. And she said, if I had come to an event like this before you wanted to be a writer, I would have told you it's not going to happen for you. Uh, and I thought about that and I, and you know, I, I can understand why she said that, but you know, I got very fortunate early in my career. My, the first showrunner that I worked for was a black woman. So, uh, you know, seeing someone like Shonda Rhimes be in charge and command that, uh, that kind of confidence and uh, leadership, uh, with people around her, uh, was something I could say, oh, okay, it is possible. So for me, um, I remember, like I said, being an assistant and uh, it was important to see other types of writers, uh, either who look like me or even just overall diversity. Uh, so, so I think that people really take it for granted. I know that even on my show, when, you know, some of the PAs uh, who are on set, you know, the fact that I was in charge as a black woman, um, you know, really made them kind of go, oh, okay, this is, this is possible. And, and then they felt comfortable to ask me questions about what I do. And, and sometimes I'd have them kind of sit, oh, look at the monitor and, you know, you can explain things. But I think that mentorship, mentorship and that advocacy is, is important. Um, you know, you see it happen with um, legacy, basically, <laughs> where people, you know, essentially that's what that is, right? It's like going, okay, here, my sister, my mom, you know, did it. So look, um, I have I have someone who I can look up to and I know it's possible. Um, so, you know, we don't, a lot of us don't have that built in. Like I know, you know, my mom didn't, you know, go finish college. Um, and so I was really the first, one of the first to go to college and, and to basically kind of pave a way for myself in this industry. I didn't have those type of connections. So for me, I think... Um, I think it's important to make sure that that there is just a normalcy too about seeing different kinds of you know people on set. I, I think it, it I think it also lessens assumptions. You've heard probably about this where you know black actors or writers are mistaken for you know the crafty or background or, or kind of lower people on the chain. So I think the more you not even just black people or people of color see this, but even white people on set see like, okay, there are, you know, the, the DP can be black. The showrunner right. can be yeah, black. That's the director can be black. It's, it is a powerful thing. And, and I, I can't, I, I knew that I, I didn't want to also be the only 
person. I didn't want to shoulder that burden. I didn't want to have that tokenism. Uh, so it, it does make me happy when I look and see like, you know, an Asian American focus puller on my set, a, a Latina uh, female uh, steady cam, uh, a black gaffer, you know, all these things. I look around and I go, okay, like it's not just hair and makeup. <laughs> you right, know, just, right. It's not just these traditional yeah. roles um, as well as the actors. And even the, even the actors have said to me, uh, like Amiatsu, our, our lead said she had never been mic'd up by a black female woman on set. And that was really amazing to her that, um, that she, someone that looked like her was, you know, micing her up in that position. So, so it's, it's, it's important for everyone and it uplifts so many people. Unlike me. <laughs> what do you what do you mean i'm like i get you. i get deeply jealous <laughs> you get when deeply i see jealous. a brown oh i'm like yeah what, what have i achieved in my life this person already has a show i need to go to therapy for this i'm I sure i think that's therapy yeah, yeah. and therapy is important too for all that's of right us. yeah that's right yeah <laughs> i'm like why well, i want to be the first you know and i have to calm myself <laughs> calm down, down and, and yeah it's okay there's, it's okay there's, so we live in a world of abundance yes you know? exactly exactly uh, there's there's a lot going on there but um Let's go back for a second to talk about what you you brought up. You were like, you know, you had to kind of make your own way. Yeah. And you had to kind of hustle. What did you do? What did you do to make your own way? You said your mom hadn't graduated from college. You're one of the first. Yeah. What was your, so I'll just like, so some people like kind of do it through like connections. Some people Mm -hmm. get really good at like building relationships. Some people get really good at like cold calling or hustling. Like what was your, what were your skill sets that you developed? You know, I, I, I kind of, I realized at some point that, uh, that there's a way to make yourself kind of like undeniably useful to people. Right. That's Um, powerful. I like that. (laughs) You know, undeniably useful. Undeniably useful. You're like a human iPhone. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it, you know, I did, my mom obviously was very helpful in this, right. I went to a private school here in LA, Brentwood. Um, she was very, you know, adamant about me getting a good education. And then that enabled me to go to Columbia for, for college. And so then part of, you know, applying to USC, you know, it's, it was kind of like, well, if I get into one of the best film schools in the in world, the world yeah. um, then it's kind of undeniable that I have the yeah, talent, right? That's true. If I can, yeah. if I can graduate from there. And then, you know, I got this wonderful opportunity to be a PA on Grey's Anatomy, which was, you know, one of the top shows on TV. And even though I was like the low, low totem pole, I, I was going to be like the best at that job. Like I was going to be the best assistant. I would um, kind of, I would save people's lunch orders because I would write them down and I save them in a file. And if someone was, I couldn't get a hold of someone for lunch, then I would um, just order the same thing they ordered before uh i would also listen to hear like what they thought about lunch because i was cl- nearby the lunch area and i would listen I to this. see yeah I would listen to see like if they liked the lunch or they didn't like the lunch um and so then sometimes we'd order and you know from an, a, a place and someone was like oh i don't like i don't know what i want and i'd say oh well last time you had the salad but i don't know if you liked it or something or uh so so it, it basically kind of lessened their uh Friction. For, yeah, and also I, now that I'm a writer, I could I I understood even why it's even more valuable because you have so much to think about. You're not really um, you don't have time for these kind of mundane things. So I basically, just picked up 
the mundane things uh, and did that. And then in, and then when I became a, write, a staff writer uh, on Scandal, there's a lot of like news media stuff uh, that plays in the background of scenes. But someone has to write that because we have to shoot the reporters and, and all the stuff. But no one wanted to write that. You know, it's not going to be heard. So I yeah. would write. I would write them all. I yeah. would write. I Sometimes it require yeah. a monologue. Many YouTube channels thank you for your service <laughs> yes. because they, they pick up on all of that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, so, um, so basically, like, that was just always my thing of where um, I just would be undeniably useful in whatever yeah. job I had. You say undeniably useful, but I think, um, especially, I don't really know you well. Obviously, we've only had a few conversations, but... I think one of the, I don't know if you disagree, but the it's undeniably useful, but it's also, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. It's also being very down to earth. Mm. So being very humble. Yeah. It's doing the work that other people would think is beneath them and then right. excelling at it yeah. and creating a niche. Um, you know, I think like all the examples you've given, which is like, you know, who who gets really good at lunch orders after right. graduating from USC, one of the best film schools in the country. Right. But like right. your first job is like, and you're like, I'm going to rock yeah. the film. I'm going to rock these lunch orders, right? Like I'm going to yeah. be, and who writes the background newscast, you know, or right. that ticker that's going on the fake yeah. CNN, yeah, you know, yeah, who yeah. does that? And you're like, somebody's going to pay attention to it. Or I'm going to fill that niche and I'm going to be really amazing at it. Right. Um. So I think that sounds like it's not just like being useful, but I think it's also it's also a commitment to your craft and quality, yeah. no matter where you find it. I think that's a very um, I don't I, I think you're not. Are you a first generation immigrant? Uh, well, I guess my my dad, yeah, my yeah. dad um, right. came here when, so when you're he kind was in thirties. Kind so of. So that's it's also a very yeah. immigrant kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? To be like, you know what, just like. I'm going to step up, I'm yeah. going to do this, right? And yeah. I'm going to do it really well. And I think that, would you agree that that is also part of the undeniable usefulness? Yeah, I do think, yeah. I've, yeah, it definitely takes humility. I mean, and, and it's not, um, you know, it's not like every day was easy to do that. There definitely were times where I was, you know, buttering someone's bagel and going like, I have an MFA, no yeah, big right. deal, no big deal. <laughs> forget about it, forget about it. So it does take, you know, another level of, of, of kind but of it gives you humility. a competitive edge. Yeah, right? for sure, for sure. So, so other I, people are throwing tantrums. Yes, exactly, and and also a lot of patience. Um, I I think I was gifted with patience, and I've learned to be even more patient as I've gotten older. Um, and therapy. I actually started therapy at, kind of when I was in my mid twenties, and kind of been off and on. So I, I think that has helped me navigate sure. these waters. Um, but yeah, it it, it is it. It does take a lot of self checking, you know, checking yourself and and also thinking about like, what is the long term goal? Right. I, I, I think also because I had done so many different jobs that when I did become a writer's PA and I got to peek into the writer's room, I was like, oh, there's I this is exactly what I want to do. So at that by that point, I was ready to commit to however long it took because I really felt like, oh, I this is. This is my jam. I can, I can do this. What was it like going to school in Brentwood? Oh well, it's a two-part question. <laughs> what was it like part... going to school? What was it like going to school in Brentwood? <laughs> well, there's Brentwood the school, and then and there's, there's Brentwood, Brentwood the, the neighborhood. Okay, you know. So, um, I started at Brentwood before OJ Simpson and all that happened. So, 
Um, I didn't even know where Brentwood was. Yeah. yeah, my my mom said, we're going to look at the school called Brentwood. And I was like, where's that? And she was like, it's in Brentwood. And I was like, where's that? <laughs> I don't know where that is. Um, and I grew up only, you know, 15 miles, if that, from there. Uh, and so, you know, it was, it was a challenge. I grew up in a very predominantly black area, um, Windsor Hills View Park, and it was an area of professionals and a kind of upper middle class. And then to go into an area that is very white and um, segregated in a lot of ways was somewhat of a shock for me. Um, you know, just just to be just to be in the neighborhood and also at the school. I had never been in an environment where I was the only black person in the class, right? I'm in my math class as the only black person in the class or the only black female. And at the time, I remember feeling like, I don't like this. <laughs> you know, like I was like, I don't, I, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm, it's just, it was just a you feel like feeling. a visitor? Yeah, a little bit, but also, tourist. but also, especially when it, I, I say this in math, particularly because I was really good at math and I, and I always felt like, like I would raise my hand and then my teacher was a little bit like not calling on me, you know, like, like, and then finally would call on me like some, like somehow annoyed. And I ended up getting like an A minus in the class and I, and I still felt like, she was kind of looking at me mm. like, mm, you know, Here whatever. She goes again. Yeah. You know, and so that, you know, that did upset me. But again, that did also, I think what I was talking about, undeniably useful. It's like, you know, you're like, you're going to have to yeah. pay attention to pay me. Attention you're going to have to like yeah. at least acknowledge who I am because I'm getting an A minus in your class. Um, So, you know, that, that part's kind of started early. Um, But as far as, I'm actually very grateful that I was in those environments early because at some point you're going to be in those environments, right? As a person of color, you can't avoid it. And so I think it taught me in an early age how to be confident in who I was. Um, and how to also, stand in line at Erewhon. How to stand. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, how to once you get at Erewhon. Yeah. The <laughs> most important part of that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, just, just to, kind of understand coded language a little bit, like when someone's saying something. And I think that really helped me even at Columbia um, because, you know, it's kind of like, uh, oh, and also I was going to say, and also, and this is where the fun part for me sometimes happens, which is kind of enjoying watching people make assumptions about me. And I still kind of enjoy that <laughs> to this day. <laughs> oh, um, I still, I still kind of enjoy that to this day, even on set, you know, watching people kind of wonder like, Oh, what do you do? And be like, Oh, you know, like I'm a gaffer. <laughs> or, yeah. Or, or like I'm an extra. Yeah. I'm an extra or, or just, you know, getting told to go to background holding and I'm like, Oh, you know, so, uh, so yeah, that I, I guess I, I did learn that lesson. When I taught my first, uh, not this is a podcast about me, but relevant i, mean, I guess yeah you I mean you're on it no, half, no, half about no, you right no, no not at all but when i did when i did uh i taught my first class i was really young as a professor mm. i think i was like 27 um and i and it was the first class i'd ever taught so i was super nervous yeah and i walked up and everybody was waiting outside of class i don't know what possessed me but i kind of stood there as well <laughs> and so then they were like who's this like, who's Professor Zafar? He's not on like Rate My Professor. 
I mean, I don't know. Like, is he like, is he hard? Is he like, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's, this is going to be rough because it's like, it looks like it's the first class he's taught. This is going to be really, you know, just our luck, right? right we just get our this luck. guy. Yeah. And then this was super mean because then I just <laughs> walked, went, in. walked in and went straight. They're all thinking I'm going to sit with them. And then I just went straight to the front. You're like, hi. Uh, I was like, I'm not going to not going to penalize any of you who thought I was going to be a clown because I probably will be a clown. This is part of an experience. You are going to be part of this experiment. Right, right, right. But I love those those moments too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about young people. You go into school. um, We were obviously recording this at Arizona State University. We Mm -hmm. do this in partnership with a venture studio that I run called The Difference Engine. And we work with some brilliant, uh, fantastic, terrific young people. Yeah many of whom are interested in this space. We work with students from um, from the design school. There's the film school has a big presence here, ASU's film school. What would you say to kind of young people now, especially uh, those who may be black or people of color or any other kind of minority, gender minority, so on and so forth, what would you say to them as they're thinking about entering this industry like you were, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, like 15 or so years later, especially like younger, more undergrad folks even. And, you know, also in in light of kind of what we've been seeing in uh, coming down from the Supreme Court on affirmative action, policies and things like that, although that's still limited to to universities, but but there's an impact uh, overall. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, when I was trying to get into the entertainment industry, there were, I didn't have the resources, right? I didn't really, I didn't know what a showrunner was. There weren't as many, as much information online about what people do. So I had to kind of like figure out the best way to kind of get into all these things. Um, But honestly, I think the best thing I did, which was kind of on accident, was just live a life, right? I think sometimes now people are, you know, they graduate high school. Okay, now they're going to go to film school and college. And like, okay, now I'm going to get an internship at NBC or Disney or whatever. And then they're like, and I want to become a writer. But what do you have to write about? You know, um, I, when I graduated college, when I was graduating from college, I was, would make a joke that I'm just going to move to France and be a waitress because it there's too much pressure thinking about, you know, what to do. Didn't they make a Netflix show about that? Right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I could have been Romlin Paris. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you know what? Honestly, I regret that I did not do that. I wish that I had done that um, because it would have been I would have had a lot of stories. Not that I, I have enough stories, but I would have had a lot of random stories. Um, a lot of people that I've worked with on shows did not, you know, come out of the gate being writers. I had a I had a boss who he was a buyer for hand towels at, you know, like Macy's or something before he... That sounds like an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, exactly. Since we're talking, all my oh, references a... are now going to be entertainment references. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he he kind of was like that. But, um, but yeah, and, and another person had been a lawyer. Um, so people who had careers and actually they're able to bring more into the writing, writing process and the writer's room having these stories. So... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to abandon what you want to do, but you know, if you want to go and teach abroad, you know, you can teach abroad while also still taking an online screenwriting class or, um, you know, taking, taking some, like still 
enhancing your learning and and reading, you know, reading a lot. Reading is so helpful. Reading is, I tell people like, you can't be a writer without reading. reading. Yeah, yeah, reading just, you know, books or scripts or, you know, everything. I watch I watch everything on subtitles mostly because I don't understand what actors are saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but also it yeah. is it's good as a writer to yeah. actually read the dialogue right. and, yeah. and And that gives you what that does is also gives you good reference material. Yes. To place in the background of scenes, books, right, right, so that yeah. other people watching it know that <laughs> no. the writers are really well read. Exactly, yeah. And then exactly. they're like, what is wow, this book this sitting background? in the background mean? Yeah, exactly. Is that a theme? Is this going to, yeah, is it foreshadowing? Yes, yeah, it could be foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, Voltaire. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, what does that, what could it mean? Yeah. yeah so, it so a really well read writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, I think um, I, I would say that. And also, you know, lean into, don't be afraid to write what you know, write your experiences. Um, you know, if you are a South Asian, you know, man, young man who, you know, Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> who, who, you know, was teaching for the first time, like just tell a story about a South Asian young man teaching for the first time. It doesn't have to necessarily be about like the South, South Asian experience. Even my show, I, it is obviously they're black, people are black, but it's not like about like the struggles of being black. Does that come out? Of course, naturally, because if you are a person of color, everyone knows it's going to come out at some point. But it's like, it's just like I said, it's about a mom and a career. Like it's just yeah. about people being people. I also think there's a maturity. Like I think we're also maturing, right? As yes. a society yeah. where when we can, when certainly we talk about the struggles part of it, but we're also just talking about the other 90% of a person's life, irrespective of who they are, right? Right, like, right. You know, like being late to work and like, right. you know, messing up a, a thing at like at work or your kids are sick or whatever it is, right? So Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I like I said, I brought up the shows Beef and Squid Game earlier. Um, but Beef is this about road rage, you know, they just happen to be Asian. And then Squid Game too is just about people who are, have different issues competing in this crazy game. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> I understand, no spoilers. But, but, but it's, you, every, everyone can relate to, right, the being in those situations in some way. Um, I had one more question for you. Oh. Pressure. And I, yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh. Um... Is it, what's my favorite food? No. <laughs> no, no, it was, I, I can't, oh yes, now I remember. Let's bring it to today. Now we've okay. talked about your past. We've talked about how you got where you were and like how you see the show that you're working on. Um, to the extent that you can discuss this, mm-hmm. um, you and your colleagues are in the midst of a fundamental shift, I believe, right. in how this industry is going to operate. Yeah. Um, whatever the results are of the writer's strike that's going on now and the actor's strike that's going on now, I think it'll result in fundamental changes, yeah. is my opinion, Yeah. in, uh, yeah, in this so. industry. And I, you know, I look at, we look at a lot at the Difference Engine and I personally look at a lot of like issues around power mm-hmm. at the workplace. We have a Women's right. Power and Influence Index, which ranks the power of women at the workplace. Uh, some of the organizations and companies we look at and have ranked are entertainment uh, outfits or media outfits. Um, it's hard to define these outfits because they're all conglomerated. Right, right, right. And I think there'll be more 
uh, of that yeah. after the strike, I think. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of conversation around, you know, is this sustainable? Um, how does the media industry contribute uh, to inequality, uh, particularly locally here in Southern California? What's your What's your experience here? Do you Do you agree with that sentiment? Do you Where do you see the kind of industry going over the next five years, particularly from a sustainability perspective? You know, an individual's ability, no matter where they are in this right. landscape, to earn a living, right? Um, a living wage. You know, we know about AI. This is a very broad question I'm asking because yeah, I yeah. want I want you to to go wherever you want with the answer. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. It's difficult because I think in some ways, or a lot of ways, I should say, um, what the writers and actors, what we're, we're kind of fighting for, it's kind of what a lot of labor unions and different people are fighting for as well, which is, um, like you said, to earn a living wage. Um, I think that when people think of the strike, I think they think, oh, well, you know, Meryl Streep is not going to be able to get extra cheese on her burger or something. And it's like... No, it's not about you're looking at the kind of high paid sure. actors, yeah. but the majority of people in these in these unions are not highly paid. They they are still people who have to um pay the you know bills. get second yeah pay the bills and you know to get second jobs or third jobs. Um, and you know I've seen online some people go oh well they signed up for this you know the starving artist and blah blah blah. But um, you know you shouldn't you sh- you shouldn't be kind of a regular on a, a hit show, right? And still be a starving artist. At that point, you know, it's it's like, a, you know, a star basketball player, uh, you know, being featured on ESPN every night and still having to, you know, sweep the floors yeah. in the day before the game. is that interesting? Because they're also entertainers. Absolutely. Right, right exactly, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and it's, it's, it was the debate too, right? About college athletes getting yeah. paid because, right. you know, they're, they're, bring all this money in so i think i think really um you know like ups they were going to go on strike i i think everyone is really just fighting to keep up with how expensive life has gotten right it used to be um it used to be that okay back in the 70s or whenever you would have a good job 50s yeah 50s <laughs> but i remember my mom like right she bought yeah. her house right yeah. she had a decent job yeah and she bought One a house and could do it yeah exactly yeah. she's like oh, i'm gonna buy a house and like okay great look at you and now it's like especially here in los angeles or california like you have to you need a million dollars just to buy a house and it's like well who has that you know and and so it really is. Um, it, it's not. It's not even anymore. It's, there's no middle class, uh, and so I think that I think that's what's been important about our fight because I feel like we are kind of fighting overall for basically just um, you know the existence of labor, right, and value of people, uh, and not just you know replacing everything with machines or computers. Um, my, like I said, my mom was a court reporter and for a year she fought against them replacing her with recor- just recordings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, Crazy. you know, there's always been this kind of fight that people have had to have. But I think as technology has advanced and, you know, people are just looking for more ways to, you know, make money or save money uh, to, in order to impress Wall Street or whatever it is, I think. They just kind of look, okay, well, how much is this costing us? Well, how can we save money here? And there's not really a thought, I think, of like, well, how is this just going to affect 
the world or, you know, kind of how people can live. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really hope that it gets resolved the right way. Um, I don't know what the future will bring. I'm, I'm kind of on the edge of my seat as well, just kind of hoping and praying that, uh, that I still get to do the job that I love and that even people underneath me, right. Who are just coming up that they're not so discouraged because it's not, they can't make enough money to, you know, go do something else. Uh, because when I was coming up, what, what made it attractive, uh, for me is that I had a lot of student loans and I, I couldn't take a job that only paid me 30 or $40,000. I didn't have any kind of parental (laughs) supplementation for my income. So, you know, to finally work hard and go, okay, if I work hard, if I get into this industry, I actually have a chance to live better than my parents did. And uh, that, that means a lot as not just a black woman, but like you said, like the daughter of an immigrant as well uh, to be able to do that. So, you know, I, I fear that if, if we don't get kind of the things that we are asking for that, that our industry that we've just talked about, right. That has made so many strides um, with diversity and all, you know, gender, race, sexuality, that, that those things might go away and it might just be an industry for, you know, people who, you know, have parents or family that can support Support them them. so that they're not starving artists. Well, let's hope that it, that it, um, that the strike serves uh, its purpose and the outcome is one that um, certainly those, in my opinion, who are, uh, you know, economically and structurally dealing with the inequality. Yeah. um, Yeah. I think it was great that the actors, you know, joined us too. I, I, so, you know, hopefully all all of this will make a difference and they'll realize, you know, there's the power that we all have. I starting to, and I think a lot of the viewers, a lot of the consumers of this entertainment also Mm -hmm. support, yeah, for uh, sure. You know what's 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 happening? And oh the yeah, strike T- and I mean like TV, that. film. I mean they're they they have an impact on all our lives. I mean they had an impact on my life, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, being younger and you know how you connect to things and um, how people get through things or learn about the whole group of people that maybe they didn't even know about. So it's it's important. Yeah. There's a lot of broader stuff here to talk about, but this is not this is not the podcast on on so I'm gonna take off my professor hat and not talk about economic inequality in that way. But uh, I will just say that it is it is important that the strike is happening. It's important that uh, that people are standing up yeah. for what they think they deserve, um, and um, I hope that uh, the people that make far 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 more than them right. will hear them hear their voices hear their loud voices um and hopefully reach a deal that can help the industry because yeah, the industry is going to sure. be hurt no matter what so anyway thank you for coming oh thank you for having me uh, this was wonderful you were yeah. a fantastic oh, guest thank you maybe once you win several more emmys and oscars <laughs> you won't forget about us <laughs> you won't forget about us still come for a follow-up yeah still come for a follow-up yeah no episode. this is great this is great thank you for awesome. taking the time out thanks, and, thanks yeah, for coming out to downtown la yeah. yeah it's great Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Unfair Nation. Now one of the most popular podcasts in the world, 
Unfair Nation is produced in partnership with The Difference Engine at Arizona State University, a venture studio where some of the brightest students, faculty, and staff build products with and for communities to reduce inequality. This episode was recorded in the gorgeous and historic Herald Examiner building in downtown Los Angeles, the headquarters for ASU in Southern California. Our editor on this episode was Damian Somerset. Thank you also to Aubrey Hicks from The Difference Engine, as well as the fantastic ASU California IT team for setting us up in the studio this time around. And of course, thank you to you for listening. Lots of great guests are coming up. Can't wait to hear what you think. I'm going to go to the restroom. Okay. And then I'll be back. Okay. Are you going to stop the recording?